Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is the Horror Shots And from the west gate shall he whisper into Orion's ear of seven stars and seven stones, but not a word of fear. The Necromantic Ritual Book. Hello once again and welcome back to another Horror Shots podcast. My name is Casey and if you've been listening the last couple of casts, you know I've been doing a segment on demons. If you've been listening beyond a couple of weeks, you know, too, that I've been doing them while I look into other stories and research other topics. Well, I found a pretty complex and interesting topic, one that's been kind of a fascination of mine for as long as I can remember, actually. I even wrote a book about it, albeit fiction. It was a couple of years ago, and recently my interest has been peaked again on the topic. But first, a bit of housekeeping. Last cast, I mentioned I switched over to Podbean, which turned out to be a pretty big mistake. Uh, In the couple of weeks that I was up there, I garnered a whopping four new downloads. Now, I am appreciative of every listen I get, but I couldn't justify the monthly cost if it wasn't going to reach a new audience. At the same time, I was trialing on a website called Pippa.io. It's interesting. It works a little bit like Podbean, but it seems to be... Their distribution might be a little bit broader, if I should say that. In the same time frame of being on Podbean, I garnered well over 40 downloads on various platforms. It's just a bit of insight for you there. Sadly, 40 isn't a huge number either. Like some of the casts out there, they get, you know, somewhere in the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands even. But you got to start somewhere, right? Continuing on with the uh, housekeeping here. Uh, your support does mean everything, and those 40 new downloads made my week. But if you'd like to support me in a more monetary way, you're very much more than welcome to via Patreon. Uh, you can visit my Patreon page at patreon.com slash horrorshots and make a pledge. You get a bunch of stuff for doing so, including access to restricted parts of my website, like never-before-seen pictures and the like. Also, feel free to check out my website, now that I mention it, at horrorshotsblog.wordpress.com. It's a good time on there, I promise you that, and it's made even better by a Patreon pledge. Alrighty, now on to the cast itself. Have you ever wondered if the dead could rise again? Of course you have, especially in this day and age of zombie fever caused by The Walking Dead and any number of video games out there. It's a virus, it's biblical, or maybe it's something else. Maybe the dead can indeed rise again when summoned by a powerful sorcerer, one called a necromancer. What is a necromancer, you might be asking? It's a term I sometimes take for granted, as after I wrote a book called Necromancy and Other Mystical Things, people had no idea what it meant. It took me a bit by surprise, but I suppose not everybody grew up playing video games where necromancers were kind of commonplace. The word necromancy itself is actually quite fascinating. It comes from a few different places, from Middle English to Greek to Late Latin. Necromantia seems to be the common term before the current form of necromancy took over. It's clearly a compound word bringing together necro, meaning dead or dead body, and mancy, meaning divination. Divining the dead is essentially what the word breaks down into quite literally. Even simpler than that, raising and controlling the dead in any manner of ways, be it communicating with spirits, 
bringing forth apparitions from whatever realm they wander, or even in a bodily form, corpses or skeletons. It's pretty nifty stuff, but before we get too deep into how it's done, and I found some pretty extraordinary information on rites and rituals, let's take a quick look at the origins of this dark and seemingly demonic practice. It seems as though necromancy has its origins in ancient Greece, which to me fits quite nicely. However, it's more likely that it evolved from certain shamanic practices. George Luck references this in his book, Arcana Mundi, Magic of the Occult in the Greek and Roman Worlds, a collection of ancient texts. He says, the way necromancers communed with the dead was very reminiscent of trance-like states shamans would fall into while performing certain rituals, which again makes sense as shamans are very, very close to spirits and a lot of their belief system comes from having that faith in various spirits and apparitions and ghosts and things from the past, essentially, is what I'm trying to get at there. Uh, the era of ancient Greece is quite rife with references and writings on the topic as well. Strabo, a Greek philosopher around the start of the current era, writes of necromancy or diviners of the dead in his Encyclopedia Geographica. He mentions these practitioners of death as primary diviners of Persia. Necromancy also began to show up in ancient Greek literary works as well, first being noted in Homer's Odyssey. In the story, Circe, uh, she's a powerful sorceress who directs Odysseus to travel into the underworld to gather information about his fate in terms of traveling home. He did this by summoning or raising the spirits of the dead through a spell Circe taught him. The long and short of it is that rituals range from mundane to fairly gruesome. However, they were all classified as necromancy. And we're getting closer to talking about how these rites are performed, but there's still a bit more history to cover. And that's just the fun part of it, isn't it? Everybody loves some history. Well, I thought so anyway. Of course, something like necromancy is going to cross over from myth into religion, making it a little too real for some people. In fact, it has its place in the Catholic Church all the way to Judaism. The Jewish people would call them bone conjurers, and the book of Deuteronomy warns the Israelites against Canaanite practices of the divination of the dead. The passage reads, When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to according to the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who marketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or who useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consular with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all who do these things are an abomination unto the Lord, and because of these abominations the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. Some pretty powerful passages there. It's also worthy to note that this form of divinity was generally punishable by death. According to Leviticus 20:27, 20, however, there's at least one example that contradicts this. King Saul had the witch of Endor summon the spirit of Samuel, who was a prophet using a ritual pit. From what I understand, neither of the two men involved, the witch nor the king, received the death penalty. Of course, raising the dead was a controversial topic, and still is. After all, should anybody have that degree of power? Hell, is it even a real thing? Having power over life and death is something that clearly is shunned in the religious world. So much so that its validity has been called into question on more than one occasion. 
In the past, some Christian writers have dismissed the claims of being able to convene with the dead, calling those who claim to have that ability nothing more than demons in disguise as humans. This has caused a misconception about necromancy and necromancers aligning them with demon summoning, which is a completely different thing in general. As we move on through history, we see more and more involvement with this particular form of magic. During the Middle Ages, several writers and historians believed that resurrection was an actual thing that could occur. However, it was only through the assistance of God that this could be accomplished. Any other form, which was pretty much every form of necromancy, was seen as conjuring demons disguising themselves as spirits to trick those who wander into the world of divining the dead. Soon, the practice was given a second name. Malficium, which translates roughly into wrongdoing. During the medieval era, practitioners of this magic were often part of the clergy, though not always high-ranking officials. However, they were often educated and quite intelligent people who had access to all different kinds of texts outlining astrology and demonology. And despite this being condemned by the church, they kind of did it anyway, like rebel priests, which sounds a lot cooler than it probably is. Nevertheless, they had three goals, if you will, with practicing necromancy, will manipulation, illusions, and knowledge. It's no real surprise that necromancy plays a large role in the religious system. Not to say that necromancy is a form of religion, but when one starts to summon spirits and relics of the dead, the church, who was the main authority on pretty much everything for a good chunk of modern history, tends to take notice. On a side note, necromancy pops up with one of the most notable figures in all of Christian history, Jesus Christ. One of Jesus' miracles was, of course, bringing Lazarus of Bethany back from the dead. Sure, one could argue that bringing somebody back from the dead and raising the dead are different, but are they really? Just think about it for a moment. In order for necromancy to work, you need to have a belief in one thing, and in my opinion, that thing is a soul. You need to believe that all living things, or at least humans, have a soul which after death goes somewhere. Heaven, hell, limbo, space, the moon, wherever. Once the soul leaves the body, all that's left behind is a broken vessel, a corpse. It's empty, devoid of life, or the driver, which is the soul, right? Are you still with me? Good. So in order to restore that soul back into its vessel, you need to retrieve it from the land of the dead, where or whatever that may be. The same can be said about necromancy. Whether you're talking to a spirit, raising or controlling the dead, or restoring a soul back into its body, you're going to the same place. Miracle or not, Jesus was technically a necromancer, if you believe in that stuff, that is. Religion and Christianity and all that fun stuff. It's no wonder that the medieval period people would assume you need the assistance of God to have anything to do with conjuring the dead. The Son of God did it. It must be divine intervention at work. Continuing into more modern times, the term necromancy has changed and evolved slightly from convening and summoning spirits to having a sort of manipulation over the dead and of death itself. It has, in a traditional sense, even broken into the mainstream slightly with psychics and mediums who claim to be able to speak to the dead. Despite its tarnished reputation for demon conjuring and association with death, necromancy has endured through thousands of years and it's still relevant today to those who have an interest in such thing. An encyclopedia of occultism states, The art is of almost universal usage. Considerable difference of opinion exists among different adepts as to the exact methods to be properly pursued in the necromancy art. 
and it must be born in the mind that necromancy, which in the Middle Ages was called sorcery, shades into modern spiritualistic practice. There is no doubt, however, that necromancy is the touchstone of occultism. For if, after careful preparation, the adept can carry through to a successful issue the raising of the soul from the other world, he has proved the value of his art. As with anything that's sort of edgy, cool, and dark, necromancy has made its way into popular culture. Despite my super popular and critically acclaimed b book, okay, that's a bald-faced lie, uh, like one person ever read it, maybe. Anyway, the form of magic has made its way into movies and video games. Movies such as Army of Darkness features a necromancer. Pretty much any fantasy book ever written will mention one as well. And video games such as the Elder Scrolls franchise and Diablo has taken a creative turn or some creative freedoms, if you will, with the divining of the dead. Now that we've got that very small portion of the history behind necromancy out of the way, we can get on to some of the summoning rituals, rites, and practices I've been able to find. Now be warned, some of this stuff is a bit disturbing and bordering on illegal, and not just by church standards. Of course, necromancy deals with death, and as such, its rituals and practices aren't going to be for the faint of heart, as much as I hate that cliche phrase. Either way, be prepared for some pretty weird stuff incoming. In the book, the Necromantic Ritual Book, which is where I'll be getting a lot of this information, Layla Wendell writes in the very first sentence of the preface, These rituals are intended to align one's soul with the death energy. That's the first time I've come across that phrase, death energy, since I started my research into this topic. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Most times, death is associated with lack of energy, to cease being. But it does make sense if you believe everything in the universe draws on or gives off energy. She goes on to explain what death energy is, and it states that, simply, it is the current of transition, like an electrical current, transitioning from life into death. And one last note, which I thought was interesting. She follows that up by saying, The workings in this book will permit the magician to bask in the life force of the angel of death. The angel of death being Azrael. She also states that performing these rituals will bring you closer to being one with your own death. Anyway, enough of the preface. I just thought that those lines in particular would bring some context to the following rites. Actually, sorry. I kind of lied there. There are a few more notes I'd like to go over before we get started. Wendell clearly states that necromancy and necromantic practices are the complete opposite. It was often believed that necromantic rituals were often ghoulish and brutal, and this was therefore considered black arts. However, she states this couldn't be further from the truth, and necromantic rituals are about working with the dead, not having them work for us. And I feel that's important to mention. The rituals begin with a credo, which isn't an uncommon practice for things such as this. Most witches or any faith or belief will always start a ceremony by saying a protection spell. It appears that the necromantic rituals are no exception to this. The credo is called the Amartian Credo, and it goes as such. It is that I am of pure heart and valiant soul that I undertake these rites as a sacred trust, that I will not, for curiosity or thrill's sake, go lightly into the house of death. It is that I am free from fear's grasp, and that fear is not a force that I recognize nor give substance to, for I have replaced it with love, the only force that holds the ultimate power in the end. Fear and love cannot exist together without one cancelling out the other. 
Therefore, I choose the almighty sword of love and set aside the veil of fear. It is that I desire to be death's empath and to willingly take on the burden of his melancholy and to drink his ecstasy with temperance and moderation. It is that I desire to know all of death's forms and will shrink away from none, but instead greet each as one would welcome a long lost lover into my bed. I shall never, for my own device, nor for the will of another, violate the sanctity of death's house, nor the catalyst that lays within, nor shall I force invitation when none is extended to me. It is that I shall counter misunderstanding with pale blue light of the wisdoms, and reveal the beauty of death, as one would unveil a rare and fragile gem from its velvet wrapping. For to do thy will is beneficial, to do the will of the one is glorious. As you can see, that's some pretty powerful sounding stuff. The rites begin thereafter. First, Wendell suggests getting to know death and becoming familiar with its presence. She says to do this, you can do a number of things from attending funerals or wakes, to participating in burying the dead, to involving yourself with the terminally ill. However, she does say that although sort of pale in comparison to what she claims is the most effective way to getting to know death, spending a night completely alone in a mausoleum, crypt, or other burial enclosures, like a tomb, she emphasizes that this must be done completely alone and in complete darkness. She says one must do this to overcome the fear of death and embrace it. Once you familiarize yourself and ultimately no longer fear death or the angel of, you are ready to proceed with the rituals. First, you must find a private place, preferably in nature, a place that you are attracted to or that draws you in. You should feel excited, electrified, and even a little uneasy. You should arrive at this place roughly 30 minutes before sunset and wander around until you find a specific spot. You may experience a strange sensation flowing through your body, a numbness or a tingling, if you will, but it's very natural. It's also noted that there needs to be water around, be it a stream, pond, or river, or inlet. But the water has to be either still or very slow moving, so not an ocean or a lake or a waterfall. Those won't suffice. Once you've found that special spot, the summoning can begin. Just as the sun passes behind the horizon, facing west, you must visualize the spot you selected as a sort of doorway with a half-open door, something you can peer into but not enter without invitation. At this point, you would erect a small, simple altar. For the ritual itself, you will need a couple of ingredients. A holly berry or a jasmine candle, a jasmine tail, spiral, or powder, and a key. The key can be anything, including a literal key, so long as it symbolizes personal transformation for you. The altar can be made out of stone or earth, and you place the candle upon it and light it. Using the candle, ignite the incense. Next, you take the key in both hands and lie on your back with your feet towards the west. While laying, clasp your hands on your chest in the death posture and remain there until the first constellation becomes visible. Once you've spotted the first constellation, lock onto it with your eyes and let it pull you out of your body, so to speak. Eventually, you will feel as though you are floating, but do not take your eyes off the stars. Concentration is key here. It's important to note that while you may experience oddities to your senses, you mustn't let your hands touch the ground. You may call on the angel of death to guide you on this journey, however, it must be nonverbal. You must call to him with your heart and soul and there cannot be a hint of fear. 
If it is detected that you are afraid at all, he will send you plummeting back into your physical body and the ritual will be over. However, if all goes well, you will be brought to an earth or stargate by your guiding angel. This can be an overwhelming experience, but just let it happen, even if you black out. Once at the threshold, you must visualize the angel you wish to meet. Whatever you think is okay, as long as you associate it with the angel. You must also visualize his domain and surroundings. Once you've accomplished this vision, take that step without fear. Again, fear is the antithesis of what you need in order to make this work. Once there, you will see an assortment of things. However, it doesn't mean that the vision is solely yours. Remember, you are a visitor in this place. However, once that is accomplished, you've achieved a summoning of sorts. The Necromantic Ritual book has a few other divinations within its pages, but I won't get into all of them. You can check it out for yourself if you'd like, and that's called the Necromantic Ritual book, written by Layla Wendell. It's on Amazon. You can pick it up and read all this stuff for yourself and get a better understanding of what she's talking about here. It's pretty fascinating, if you ask me. Now, that may not have been entirely what you were expecting when I said I was going to go over necromantic rituals, but remember, necromancy and necromantic rituals are a bit different, and I wasn't about to attempt to raise the dead on my podcast. I mean, what if it worked and I started the zombie apocalypse, or more seriously, summoned a really pissed off spirit? I mean, it could happen. Nevertheless, necromancy is something that has always fascinated me, and I've mentioned that a few times. There's something about death and having some form of control over it that is interesting. After all, death is the one sole inevitability in life, and having that control or even the ability to manipulate it just makes it, yeah, there's nothing else to say. Anyway, that kind of brings us to the end of our look into the dark world of necromancy. Remember, if you want to attempt that ritual, be careful not to break any laws. I'm pretty sure that sneaking into a mausoleum to sleep with a dead body is at least breaking and entering, trespassing, and maybe even desecrating a corpse. So yeah, be careful, maybe just visit a couple cemeteries. Besides all of that, I've also read that being a necromancer, at least in the Middle Ages, possibly before that as well, had some very strict rules to follow. You had to wear very specific clothing and not change from them at all or remove them for up to six days prior to the ritual you were going to perform. Eating meat was completely out of the question, as well as salt had to be removed from the diet entirely. Salt was used, and I guess still is, as a preservative, and death is about letting go and accepting it for a necromancer. Therefore, the preservative was against pretty much everything they were trying to achieve. Salt is also a deterrent for spirits as well. Lastly, the necromancer wasn't even allowed to so much as look at a woman, let alone be with one or think about one in an intimate fashion. During my research, I found a lot of very interesting facts on the subject, which I was happy to share with you. However, with that said, I do not encourage you to attempt any of the things we've talked about today. I mean, no matter your belief, this is some very powerful and potent magic and really shouldn't be tampered with on, you know, the off chance that it works. I've not tried it myself, and frankly, I don't plan on it. If you are super curious about it, though, look for a local Wigan or Pagan group in your community and join them. They're usually very open and welcoming people, and they're very experienced in this kind of stuff with years of practical experience. I'm just an amateur researcher, and I can only imagine the consequences of things going poorly. Also, I'm not saying that Wiccans and Pagans are necromancers, but they might have a better understanding of the practices involved. Though it's probably not the greatest idea to show up at a gathering and ask about how to raise the dead. Well, that officially brings us to the end of the cast. 
This may well turn out to be a two-parter. I've sent some emails, and I'm attempting to get some insight from an expert or two on the subject, and if that comes to fruition, you can expect at least a small follow-up on the necromancy topic. But until next time...